that you're here. My name is Pastor Jay. I'm the executive pastor. Honored to serve here at Southridge. And I'm just excited to share with you part four of our series, David, A Heart After God. And last week we had uh, Rod Whitlock, uh, who was with us. Wasn't that awesome? If you were here last week, man, it was kind of part one of two parts of the story of David and Goliath. So um, I get to share with you the second part, the, the more exciting part, I guess, which is actually David going out into the battlefield. And, and so, but Rod did a great job just setting all this up and, and great, great uh, message. You can look at, uh, you can go on our website if you miss these and go to sermons and, and listen to those. So I encourage you to do that if you missed it. Uh, but our key text for this series has been from chapter 16. We're, ca- we're kind of going 16, 17, and we'll next week I'll share just a little bit into chapter 18 as we wrap up this series. And this is the key text. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about a heart that prevails. And as I've been looking at this passage over and over again, um, Two words stuck out and kind of bookends to the this story that we're looking at, which is we're looking at verse 32 through about verse 52. And uh, we're, we're going to look at the word fails, and we're going to look at the word prevailed, which at the end, David prevails. And I believe he prevails because of his heart, okay? Uh, but as we look at this key text, but the Lord looks at the heart. That word looks really jumped out to me. And, and just digging a little deeper into the, the, this, um, the Old Testament was written in the language of Hebrew, okay? And looking into that word in Hebrew, it actually means to examine, okay? And in even in some translation and variations, it means to spy, okay? That's what this word means, okay? And when I thought about that and reflecting on that word, you know, actually, I thought about last Sunday as I was getting ready for church, and many times I do this. I get, <coughs> when growing up, just to kind of give you a little bit about myself, as I was growing up, and, and I look at pictures of myself and stuff when I was uh, uh, growing up and as a kid, I always had clothes that really, really matched, okay? Like, <laughs> like scary matched, you know? And then I matched my brother, and so, uh, so kind of a blessing and a little bit of a curse so uh so my mom's awesome she cares about me and and but now it's like I, I obsess a little bit about it too much and so sometimes I'll come out and if I'm unsure about something I'll come out to my wife and I'll say hey how does this look and that question is actually does this match and so last Sunday uh, my wife she, she glanced at me um as she was doing her hair or something and she said yeah, that should be fine. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, how does this look? Why did you say that? And she said, well, I, I thought you were asking me that because you're wearing black shoes. And I'm like, okay, so how does this look? And, and she said, well, and, I, and then I we kind of went through that dance a little bit, and I said, okay, if I pick those other shoes that aren't black, and that would be much better. And I was like, okay, why'd that have to be so hard? But... Uh, but, you know, for each and every one of us here, whether it's your clothes, your car, your house, you've asked that question, how's this look? How's this look? You know, the appearance of it, 
How does this look? And so I want to challenge you today, though, just here at the very beginning. Are we willing to ask God a tougher question? God, how's my heart with you? God, I want to welcome you to examine my heart and tell me what you see. You know, it's a tough question for us to ask, but it's one that not only uh, was David willing to have his heart examined, uh, he actually welcomed it in the book of Psalms. In 139, he asked God, search my heart, okay? So, you know, the, when I think about this word looks and, and, and examine, I think we can be intimidated by the idea of God examining our heart especially if we think the exam is pass-fail. I think that's what we're most afraid of, that God will look at our hearts and be like, wow, Dave's got some issues, <laughs> right? Not just the clothes-matching thing. It goes deeper than that, you know? And so we're, we're a little afraid of that. But you know what? That's not who our God is. In fact, because of Jesus Christ, when we step into our relationship with God, because through a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is by grace. It is through grace that we are saved as we believe. And so we don't deserve it, and God's not asking for a perfect heart. But what he is interested in is the focus and the attitude of your heart. The focus and the attitude. So to help with this, we're going to look at David's heart. And first, we're going to look just at the very first verse of this story that is very, very pivotal in helping us to understand David's heart. Now, where we left off last week was David had conversations with his brothers, uh, came, he heard Goliath shouting out on the battlefield. He's like, hey, what's going on? His brothers were like, hey, why are you here? Just give us the cheese. Just shut up. Go away. We don't want to talk to you. That's really what it was like. And so, and, and David's like, hey, this shouldn't be happening. Somebody should be out there. This has happened for 40 days. Goliath has been just marching out there and saying, come on, who's up for it? Okay? And so David's like, there's no way this should be happening, guys. I will fight him. I will. So now he's been ushered into the King Saul's tent. And that's where we find him as we look at verse 32. It says, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. These two sentences are so significant because they re reveal just a great deal about David's heart. David's heart maintained an appropriate attitude towards authority. If you look at this in this scripture, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, as he continues to talk with Saul, he addresses him three times, your servant, your servant. See, David is now the newly anointed king, okay? So this is, it's already happened that Samuel has went to David's house and anointed his head with oil, <coughs> and he's reject, God has rejected Saul's heart, which was corrupt and, and twisted. And so David is the next in line. And he knows that. We're not sure that Saul knows it. In fact, we know he doesn't know it yet. He just knows God's rejected him. 
So David's going into this tent to say, I will fight him. Okay? But no, he actually says, your servant. Instead of saying, hey, Saul, hey, I'm here. I've arrived. Check it out. Feel my hair. Yeah, feel my hair. Feel that? That's anointing oil. I'm next. So I can take care of this. He doesn't do that. He says, your servant. Your servant. An appropriate attitude towards authority. His attitude of his heart. So very important. How are you doing with your heart and authority? With the people that God has placed in authority in your life, whether it's your boss, your parents, the authority figures in your life, how are you doing? How are you responding to them? It says a lot about your heart. It says a lot about your heart. That's one part of this verse. The second part, actually the first part, let no man's heart fail because of him. David's heart was consistently focused on God and others. You can follow along in the handout uh, or, or in the notes in your handout. David's heart was consistently focused on God and others. In verse 32, what's so amazing as he first announces his intentions here is there's no I in that sentence. No point does he say, I will volunteer as tribute. Okay? For those of you who haven't seen Hunger Games, I am Spartacus, you know, right? I will do this. I will fight. I will be the one to do it. No, he says, let no man, which he's pointing to the thousands of Israelites, including his own brothers, and saying, let none of them, let none of their hearts fail because of Goliath. Your servant, king, will go out there and fight for our God. That's what he says. It's a powerful image of David's heart, which was focused on others and God. What's the focus of your heart? This is so very important for us to look at before we even look at when he gets to Goliath. This sentence. Because here's the deal. As I'm talking about David and Goliath, this message is not about defeating the giants in your life that are keeping you from buying the house of your dreams, from getting the career that you've always wanted. It's not about living the American dream. Two words that are not in any verse in the Bible are American dream. My stuff and what I want to do. When David was anointed as king, he didn't go celebrate and say, oh, sweet, I'm king. I'm going to go pick out the coolest robe and the best crown. I'm going to have a party with my friends. I have arrived. I've won the royal lottery. It is going to be awesome. No. David took his staff, his rod, and he went out and he watched sheep. That's the heart that is after God. That says, I'm just going to serve. I'm going to go tend to my father's sheep. That's how he celebrated becoming the next king of Israel. Here's a very important thing that I want you to hear. 
David's heart did not fail because he was focused. David's heart did not fail because he was focused on seeing God prevail. That's what his focus was of his heart. David's focus was not on becoming a hero or a legend. Instead, it was his God and God's people. The hearts of the Israelite army were afraid. In verse 24, it says, Every time Goliath went out there and started yelling at the Israelite army, this nine-foot giant, people were so afraid they ran for 40 days. They ran. Ran in fear. The hearts of these men, instead of stepping into the battlefield, instead of one of them saying, you know what, God is with us. He could do this. We need to protect our country because the challenge was whoever wins, the other army becomes slaves. And not only this, this valley, Valley of Elah, it was a pivotal point. In fact, for David... And for his family, it was very pivotal, pivotal because the next, this was a passageway that would lay, lead to Bethlehem. This army of the Philistines, they came from Crete. They were making their way up the coast. Okay? So all these Israelites knew there's a lot at, a lot at, a lot at stake. But instead of stepping out there into this key position for the sake of their families, for the sake of their God, Thousands of Israelites were stuck on the sidelines in fear, terrified, and their hearts were failing. The literal translation of this verse 32, this first part says, let not the heart of anyone fall upon him, Goliath. That's what David was saying. Let no one's heart fall on that guy. As I was thinking about this um, early on and I was developing this message, God kept planting a story in my heart that I was supposed to share. I was like, okay, all right, okay. So I'm going to share a story. Um, um, You know, I've talked about my grandfather. He's a big part of my life. He was a minister for many years. um, And uh, just just an amazing guy. Well, he was, my grandfather was, the grandfather to tell lots of stories. How many have a grandparent like that? Tells lots of stories, right? Lots of stories or a father or, you know, like always sharing good stories. So he would share, he would share stories because I never met my great-grandfather. Uh, so I'm going to show you a picture of him just so you get a little. Uh, all right, so the big guy with the overalls is my great-grandfather. All right, so his name, all right, since I do ancestry stuff, I'm an ancestry geek. All right, so, uh, um, so his name is Klaus Ludwig Johann Alf. That was his name. So Klaus, uh, a- after he was given that name uh, and they immigrated uh, from Germany, uh, had the bright idea to change his name to John Lewis Alf, which I think was a good choice because it's kind of a, you know, it's a mouthful, right? So, uh, so, so John um, was a farmer in central Kansas, and uh, my grandfather... And all of his siblings and his mom went to Wichita, Kansas, which is nearby, and went to what was called a tent meeting. And what happened in the 1920s and 30s especially was an evangelist would come to a town and set up a tent, and people would come, and they would find Christ at these meetings. 
They would share the gospel, and people were saved and radically transformed, and then they would go and be a part of the local church. Well, that had, went, that had happened for everybody but John, until finally John decided, after all his kids and his wife were saying, you have to go to the tent meeting, you have to go, and he finally went, and he got radically changed. But you know what? After, after a few weeks of making a decision to follow Christ, John started to really struggle. Because John had some addictions, and he had some things in his life he just couldn't get past. And one day, my grandfather told me that, that the pastor showed up at their house, at their farm, and he came to the farm and said, hey, John, I want to talk with you. And he sat down with John and said, John, how are you doing? And John said, I am struggling. I'm struggling. And one of his big struggles was, my grandfather said, he used to always, his dad used to always have a pipe. Now, I have to tell you what this pipe was, because you're thinking pipe, and you know, 21st century pipe has a lot of connotations to it. But he had like a Sherlock pipe, okay? And he was always smoking, and he couldn't do without it. And it was one of these addictions that was really just tying him down. And he's like, I don't know how to get past this. I'm stuck. And he wasn't going as faithfully to the tent meetings or to the church, he was stuck. He's like, what, what, I don't know what to do. The pastor counseled him, prayed for him, and then uh, that same week, that same week after the pastor had left, uh, one of his sons, uh, and I believe it, it, that's Lester on the left there, and Lester had epilepsy. And as they were out working on the farm, and another place in the farm, on the other side of one of the fields, Lester was having a seizure. And my grandfather told me that one of the siblings came, told them, and so my grandfather and John started running to go help Lester. And they're running through one of the wheat fields, and they're running, and he's always wearing overalls. Like most of the pictures I have, he's like that. And he always had the pipe in his pocket. And as he's running, this pipe jostles loose and falls on into the field. And, of course, the urgency of the situation, he just keeps going. They go. They help Lester. And then as they're carrying Lester back to the house, there's the pipe. He arrives where it dropped. He gets to that point. There it is, the very thing that's that kind of represents his struggle. And as he goes to pick it up, he bends down. My grandfather told me this story many times. He went to bend down, and he stopped. He stopped, and he kicked that pipe. And that was it. That was it. I tell you that story, and I believe God wants me to share this story about my great-grandfather, because that was a turning point. He was stuck on the sidelines. Because of that thing that was holding him back, that was holding him down, that he couldn't get past. Because there's something for some of you, or maybe many of you, that you are on the sidelines and you're stuck. And there's something that represents a Goliath that's not just defying you, it's defying your, your God, your relationship with God. And you're stuck. So, 
in your handout there is a question I want you to reflect on and just write something here, whatever comes into your heart as I'm sharing this story. Why does your heart break? Why do you struggle? Why are you stuck? Standing there as the Goliath shouts at you and shouts at your God. Why are you stuck? Why does your heart fail? Because here's the deal. You might be thinking that David's heart prevailed when he launched that stone from his sling and the stone struck Goliath's head. Actually, David's heart prevailed when he saw Goliath and heard the curses towards God and Israel. And despite his size, despite the 40 days of him doing this, despite the incredible risk if he lost he still stepped out from the sidelines, unlike the thousands of other Israelites that have been standing there and standing and doing nothing. He stepped out into the battlefield, believing that God would give him victory. I want to go back to this story of David to discover more of why David's heart prevailed. You see, in verse 36, he is responding to Saul's concerns that now he's saying, hey, David, uh, I see your size. I you've only been a shepherd. You, you're not even a trained warrior. Can't let you go out there. And this is what David says. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Notice that's plural. Lions and bears, okay? And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I'm going to be talking about characteristics of a heart that prevails. So each one of these, these uh, blanks that you're filling in is, has to do with that. A heart that prevails fights for the one true God who is undefeated. See, that's, David understood that in his heart. I am fighting for the one true living God who is undefeated. I know I've fought some battles against bears and lions. David has these two thoughts. First, if the God who helped me kill lions and bears is with me, Goliath has no chance. Goliath has no chance. I was thinking about this and undefeated, just no chance. And I, I, I thought back to my sophomore year in high school. Somebody, somebody from Southwood Driftville was asking me, hey, did you play basketball? I said, a long time ago in a faraway place, I played basketball, okay? And, it, and I played basketball, just junior vars varsity basketball. I uh, never made that step up to varsity. Um, I played just my sophomore and junior year. But my sophomore year, I remember, we went to – Parsons, Kansas. Anybody know where Parsons, Kansas is? That's what I thought. And so Parsons actually once used to be a bigger, bigger big town, I guess, uh, in Kansas. And uh, I was in a town, about 6,000 people. And we went there to play. And Parsons had just moved from 5A to 4A, right? It goes all the way to 6A in Kansas. And so they bumped down, but they didn't bump down in talent, just in number of kids at their high school. So for the JV game, we get there, and we're, we're ready to get playing, and we're warming up, and one of the guys who's a junior turns to us and says, 
there's a couple of guys that played varsity last year that are warming up with us. I'm like, what? A few minutes into the game, we realized what the coach was doing is you could play five quarters of any night. So you could play four quarters of varsity, but you could warm up one quarter of JV, which is what they were doing on us. And what happened was by halftime, it was out of control. It was like we were playing the L.A. Lakers, you know. Um, I was like, wow. I remember sitting there, and my friend and I, Travis and I, we still laugh about this to this day. And we were just sitting next to each other, and he's like, dude, do you think we're going to score 100 points? I'm like, dude, do you think we're going to score 20? <laughs> and the, quest the answer to both those questions was no, but the final score was 91 to 19. The first and only time in my life that I was the leading scorer with five points. <laughs> okay, five points. I, we knew very early on we had no chance, no chance at winning this game. In fact, I remember going to the varsity game, which was after at the high school, and I, I was there. I just started dating a girl, and I'm, I was. She came out to ask me. She's like, "Did you guys lose 91 to 19?" I'm like. It was pretty bad. And then some kids come running up because it was at parking. Some kids come up and point. That's one of the guys on the other team. They lost 91-19. That's him. <laughs> like, kind of the lowest part of my existence in high school was that moment. I was like, but you know, I just uh, that watching that team, I, I I think about there's just no chance we're gonna win. The same attitude David had. There is no chance for Goliath. We are. All I'm unstoppable when I go with God. That was his attitude of his heart. And here's the other thing. David took this personally. The insults of Goliath, who served other gods. The name of his god was Baal Zebub. And that god was the one that he was saying was going to help him, which is actually the name of a demon now that we find in the New Testament. So he's declaring that my God's going to help me, and you Israelites, God, he's nothing. David took it personally. He took it personally. And it's probably, as I thought about it, this is probably one of the first times, if not the first time, that David heard someone insult his God. And he's like, who dare does this? This guy, I mean, God help me defeat lions and bears how in the world so what about you when you face a giant is that giant challenging you or is the giant challenging you as a child of God if you take it personally for God like you know these thoughts these thoughts that are that are tormenting me these voices they're not just speaking against me they're speaking against against my father in heaven who's declared that now that I have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ I am a child of God taking it personally a heart that prevails fights for the one true God who is undefeated let's keep reading verses 38 through 40 then Saul clothed David with his armor he put on a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail and David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not 
tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in hand as he approached the Philistine. A heart that prevails allows God to use what you already know and love. Allows God to use what you already know and love. David was a skilled slinger. Okay, this is not like the little slingshot that you get like at Cabela's. Okay, this is like, this was like uh, this long two straps that came down in this little pouch. And slingers on the battlefield, man, they could, they could hit things from great distances. And David knew how to use this sling. He knew how to operate it. That with his staff and his rod were the weapons he was familiar with as a shepherd. He's saying to to Saul, I'm not used to all this stuff. But what if David had said, you know what? I want to go out and I'm going to fight this giant. But you know what? He has all this armor. In fact, the 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 Philistines had something that the Israelites didn't Okay, They had access to all this armor and all this weaponry that the Israelites didn't. And so David could have very well said, hey, you know, they got a, quite an advantage over there. But you, Saul, you're the king, so you actually have a lot of armor that the rest of us soldiers don't. So, yeah, I'd actually like that kind of stuff. That'll kind of even the playing field. But David knew, you know what? God can use me for who I am and what I know and love. Sometimes what stands in the way of God's plan for your life and how he wants to take you past those giants that are defying not just you, but him. The answer to that is what you already know and love. You're thinking, if I just had those talents and I just had those gifts and I just had that stuff and I just had these resources that other people have, don't go there. What do you know and love? God can make a difference through you. And maybe you're wondering, you know, I feel like I'm stuck Because I really don't know what my place is in life. I don't know what my place is here at Southridge. I don't know how to make a difference. Here's the reality. It's already within your heart and your life. And who you are and who God has created you to be. What you know, what you love. You know, right now we're on uh, break with our life groups. But in the fall, in September, we're going to get these things going again. And in August, there's going to be planning for it. Uh, Jennifer, uh, Troy's... Troy's wife, she does a great job with our life groups. And one of the beautiful things about our life groups is, man, if you are excited about something like, you know, you you like knitting, you could lead a knitting group, okay? I don't know why I chose knitting, but that's just the thought that came to my mind. I've been talking to Jennifer, and I said, you know what? I think I really want to do an ancestry group. I want to show people how to make their family trees. Why? Because that's what I know and love. I know how to do that. You have something about you that God could use to make a difference, and you could step off the sidelines into the battlefield. How can God use what you already know and love? Let's keep reading verses 41 through 45. And the Philistine moved forward, came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh 
to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. A heart that prevails avoids placing any faith in yourself. Goliath placed faith in his false gods, in his size, his military skills, and his weaponry. The Philistines had this advantage of bronze and iron. Because of all this stuff, though, Goliath was arrogant. And here's the deal. Arrogance is misplaced faith. That was Goliath's huge disadvantage in addition to the fact that he was serving the wrong God. When you start putting your faith in yourself, in your abilities, you disarm God. So I have a really tough question for you this morning. Do you have the heart of Goliath? Do you depend on yourself, your abilities, your gifts, your job, what you've accomplished? Are you placing all your faith in you? Because here's the deal. If you try to fight the battle with just you and what you've accomplished, you're going to come up short. A heart that prevails avoids placing any faith in yourself. 1 Samuel 17, 46 through 47 This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. A heart that prevails keeps God as the main character of your story. As we've been going through this series, I've been able to just spend some time with my son just as he's been reading me the same stuff we've been going through in David and we've been talking about, which is actually a really good thing for you to do with your kids, is to read the Bible with them. And I've had him read it to me. He's either read it in his, he's got a Bible, and he actually has an action Bible, which if you have kids between the ages of like, I don't know, 7 and 12, there's what's called an action Bible, and it's illustrated by a guy who actually did illustrations for Spider-Man comics, and it's amazing. And so my son's read the action Bible, I don't know how many times. He just, he just reads, he loves to read. And we were reading through this together, and I want to remind, I want to just do, give a shout-out to our uh, our early childhood um, they have, and I know with our elementary, they have things too that comes home with you, but like, um, I believe this is for the toddlers, but on the back side of what they're bringing home to you parents, all right, there's the story that you're going to have there. And you could spend some time just reading this story, and like, they went through this, and I could interact with them. So I want to encourage you to do that because there's great power in that. But as I was talking with Jackson about this, and we were reading this story, I said, Jackson, who's the main character of this story? He said, um, uh, David and Goliath. And I said, no, who's the main character in the story? He said, um, and he's, he's got a good mind. He's like, David. And he said, no, God. I said, you're right. 
Because here's the deal. In what we just read, all right, and then one verse before it, David mentions God not once, not twice, not three times, but seven times when he tells, uh, when he tells Goliath what's going to happen to him. Seven times he refers to God. Why? Because God was going to do it all. And God was going to get all the glory. Who's the main character of your story? If it's me, 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 the character, the main character of your story is just me, you're no different than anybody else that's out there fighting, losing battles. Who's the main character of your story? A heart that prevails keeps God as the main character of your story. If you're wondering, is he? Ask yourself this question. Are you fighting this battle alone or is God with you? He wants to go with you. He wants to be at the center of who you are and what you're about and what you're fighting. Let's keep going here. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. A heart that prevails runs toward the biggest challenges you're faced. Did you notice that? That David, after he said, hey, here's what God's going to do, and it's going to be for God, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm go- we're going to chase down this army that's been trying to threaten not just us, but our God. And David runs towards his enemy. When I look back through this story, I notice something else. What strikes me about this passage is that David is running to meet the Philistine. Now check out verses 30 and 31 when David is talking to Saul. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I went after those. He didn't say, well, there goes one of those cute dad sheep. That's too bad. No, he went after them. When the enemy attacks your faith, this is very important. When the enemy attacks your faith, or maybe more accurately, attacks your marriage, your family, your child, do you run towards the enemy and fight? Why did David run out? And here's why. Because he knew who he was fighting for. He was fighting for his father's sheep. And here on the battlefield, he was fighting for his heavenly father. He was fighting for his brothers who were standing and stuck on the sidelines and for thousands of other Israelites. He was fighting for his country. He was fighting for God's future, for his chosen people. So he ran towards Goliath. There was no doubt as he ran out who he was running with. If you try, this is really important. 
If you try to fight for yourself and by yourself, you will lose the battle. But if you fight for your father, your heavenly father and his future, you will prevail. heart that says, the enemy that's coming after my kids, I will run. I will run and get on my knees and begin to pray for that child. An enemy that's attacking my marriage, I will run out and each day pray that the God who loves me and has a plan for my life will defeat this attack. I close, you know, one of the more difficult things is when you prepare a message, like what are you going to end with, okay? So I had something up until midnight last night, and I could not sleep last night. I was like, okay, God, what, what am I supposed to say in this moment? So this is what I lost sleep over, what I said. One of the things that amazes me is that before David arrived at the battlefield, the Israelites listened to Goliath, cursed their God, cursed them and their future, for 40 days and did nothing. They were stuck for 40 days listening to this guy shout out at them. Think about that. For me, I would just be like, I, I'm not saying I'd have the courage of David to step out on that battlefield, but I would be like, somebody please go out there and shut this guy up. Or like day three. Right? But here's the thought that came into my mind when God just brought that in. He said, you know, Jay, for some here this morning, 40 days is a drop in the bucket for the enemy that has been shouting at you and your God. And you've been stuck for 40 weeks, for 40 months, and you've been stuck on the side. For your prayer point, I want you to have a point of prayer. You're wondering, how do I fight? On your knees. This is what I want you to answer. What has defied your God for 40 days or longer in your life? Not what is the giant that's keeping you from doing the things that you want to do with your life. No, what has defied your God for 40 days or longer for the what the, for the things that he wants to do in your life and through you? In your family. Here's the deal. God wants to take you beyond the valley. These two armies were encamped hillside, hillside, with a valley in between. No one wanted to go down one hill into a valley and up a hill to face the other. So they stood there with Goliath in the middle. What we know, though, is what happened next. In verse 42, 52, after Goliath's head's been cut off, David lifts up his head and turns to all the Israelites. He says, look. And they shouted. This is what happened. The men of Israel rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. Can I tell you, when you first read that, you think, man, they just chased them down to the next town. That was 11 miles God wants to take you beyond your valley, 
11 miles of a future that he has for you, for your family, for your kids. He wants to see that. He wants to go with you, defeat the giant, and go beyond the valley. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you care deeply for us, that you know the giants that are out there cursing not just us, challenging not just us, but you. If you're here today and you're saying, Jay, it's been more than 40 days for that thing in my life. I'm ready to see God slay the giant. I'm ready to step out from the sidelines. If that's you, and I want to know who to pray for, just lift up your hand and say, that's me. It's been more than 40 days. Yeah, lots of hands. God, you know their stories. You know what's on the battlefield that's facing them. In Jesus' name, I pray for strength and courage to step out and believe that you will do a good work, a great work, and you will triumph. And there will be glory to your name because of it. In Jesus' name.